GQ's Mad Influence is presented by Moet et Chandon. Life's memorable moments must be Moet et Chandon. Welcome to Mad Influence. I'm your host, Jim Nelson, editor-in-chief of GQ. Mad Influence is a podcast about artistic breakthroughs and what I like to call the long arc of creativity. Jeff Goldblum is the rare actor who has worked in film and TV for decades, in his case for 44 years, but whose public persona, his likability, the sense that we know him, have grown up with him. This persona and relatability seem larger and somehow more significant than the sum of his roles. He is known to us in a way that seems almost meta. He inhabits a world that is Goldblumian. He's been a constant and reliable presence in countless movies that, while the word iconic is overused, but movies that have shaped our sense of identity, even of cultural memory. The Big Chill, The Fly, the Jurassic Park movies, Independence Day, Thor, and so many more. Even when the movies get big, larger than life, he's the part of the film that reminds us why we came. He's managed to become the heart of more than a couple of franchises. It's like, come for the dinosaurs, stay for the gold bloom. Hey. What the heck? Hey. How are you? How are you? I'm trying to see you. In real life, he's known for gracious manners and impressive sartorial style. You should see what he's wearing right now. It's incredible. And now his second career, that of an accomplished jazz pianist, is finally getting its due. His debut album, The Capitol Studio Sessions, has just been released and even features Sarah Silverman singing Me and My Shadow. So this is a podcast about people with long, interesting, constantly changing creative careers. And here is one of the best examples of that. A man who keeps throwing out surprises, Jeff Goldblum. Welcome to Mad Influence. Jim Nelson, thank you. That's what this is called, Mad Influence? Mad Influence. Well, wait a minute. What, where does that come from? Mad? Mad, insane, that. crazy, big, yeah. huge, yes. Yes. wide, yeah. stellar. Uh, um, st- stellar? Yeah. Influence. Mad Intergalactic. Influence. I gotcha. In- Mad Influence. Yeah. See? Mad, yeah. Like... How else is that used? Mad. Hey, you've got some mad... Mad style. Mad style, they yeah, say. yes. Okay, I'm a, always trying a man to... With, en- a man with mad style himself. Mad style. I'm always trying to enlarge my phraseology. Your argoology. <laughs> my what? Your argo. Wait a minute. There, there, there's, there's another one. Argo... Argoology? Argo, argo slang. Oh, Argo. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. I think you're you're pronouncing Argo from the A-R-G-O-T. Mm-hmm. The French. I always... Oh, Argo, Argo. I always thought Jeff that was Argo. Jeff has taken over this podcast no, already. We're too No, sick. I give it to you. I take nothing over. No, but no, I'd no. be remiss if I didn't pluck out these gems that you're, <laughs> you know, um, from your cornucopia. So, Jeff. Yes, sir. You've had this incredibly storied career yeah. where the roles have stayed juicy and the work has stayed interesting far longer than most actors can ever hope for. When you started out, what were what were the expectations you had for this career? Did you you said you were not a careerist? What were you going for? What kind of career did you imagine yourself? Well, you've you've lit, you've lit me on fire. I have much to say about that, but <laughs> nothing that's interesting possibly. But here I go. Um, yeah. Well, I'm lucky. I'm awful lucky. You're right. I, I think you're right. As I look around, although I know less than my manager and agent does about, I, I always go, hey, what happened to so-and-so? Aren't they still? Yeah. So I'm always, I've become aware that I'm particularly uncommonly lucky somehow and have gotten a chance to do it. You know, I've only had a, a straight job for one week in my life. Early on, I was very lucky. I, I fluked my way into a show in Central Park. <laughs> 
uh, that became a hit on Broadway. Well, it was right. the first You're, thing I ever, yeah. I never auditioned. It was before I ever auditioned for anything. I kind of got this part. I met Joseph Papp and this, they were doing Two Gents, Two yeah. Gentlemen of Verona, this uh, musical version. And it was a big hit that yeah. year. I got into that. And you, that, was, that was your first acting gig at all? Yes, exactly. So what made exactly. you think you knew how to do it? <laughs> well, I didn't very much. And well, here's what happened. I wanted to be an actor when I was like 10 years old. Mm. My dad had said, if you find something you love to do, that may be a lighthouse and a compass, uh, et cetera, et cetera, for your vocational choice. And around fifth grade, I took part in this summer camp. Mm-hmm. And I was in the, uh, the show. Uh, they put me in this drama program, and I or did the show. And after I was so exhilarated, my parents said, how'd you like that? And I was like, yeah, I really liked it. But I kept it secret. But it was then that I developed this notion and obsession and passion and idea that I was going to be an actor. And then around ninth and 10th grades, took this other summer course at Carnegie Mellon University. I'm from mm-hmm. Pittsburgh. And um, then we had real uh, professors from the college that year and students from all over the country who I felt, hey, this is my, I felt enlivened and inflamed by that. And, this is and my then, thing, you thought. This right is my away. thing. Yeah. And, and, and at that point, I started to write on the shower door every morning when it steamed up, please, God, let me be an actor. Really? And then, yep. And then I'd wipe it off before anybody could see it because it was still a secret. Wow. But I had this, you know, I, I was like, I, I need to do this very badly. So that has kind of, you know, I've, uh, like I say, been lucky, but the fuel from that seed has possibly attracted this life that I've managed to affect, you know. Um, anyway, the, I got lucky I, it, in that I went to New York and studied with a very good teacher, yeah. Sanford Meisner, and he had wonderful things to set me off in, but I didn't know how to do it, certainly, and and then lucked my way into a couple of these jobs, and then the first movie I, I got, but and I was justifiably um, insecure, really, although excited. Well, didn't Sanford Meisner say it takes you 20 yes. years to become he says, a decent yes, actor, right? Yeah, you can continue working for 20 years, but it's it's only after 20 years that you can really call yourself an actor yeah. and living the life inside yourself as a, the kind of actor I'm talking about, he, you know, he said. And then if you're lucky, you work your whole life and keep getting better. Yeah. Well, I took that to heart and I'm a late bloomer, I think, uh, truly. And so I'm still a humble student and I feel like I'm on the brink of my best work. So that maybe has fueled not only the origin seeds that were full of fire mm-hmm. and something like that and crazy, crazy fire of some kind. But um, but my good guidance and my notion that I was studying and all this time each project was a way to get better. I don't know what I would have done if I thought, well, I studied it. I can do it now. Let me sell my wares or let's see what I can make of myself. No, that really wasn't it. It's been this kind of um, academe and this little, you know, exciting adventure, developmental odyssey. I imagine that um, I'm trying to, to figure out how a young actor today figures out how to have a long career like Jeff Goldblum's. And I and I would think that the impulses and the people whispering in your ears and telling you to do this and that can sometimes be confusing. How did you figure that out from the early part? Was your agents envisioning some long art career like this, or were they just basically looking for the next paycheck? No, it was just pure luck, because I had people... I, one of my first agents was uh, a guy who said, I don't think I ever signed with this guy, did I? No, no I was with him for a little bit. He said... Jeff Goldblum, you were in that Death Wish movie, because that's the first movie I auditioned for. I got, he said, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, He said, well, he said, you know, if you changed your name 
from Goldblum to like Hernandez, there's a lot of you could get a lot of bad guy parts because they, they like a lot of these Jeez. sort of. Because so, you play a criminal in that movie, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I, I, I rape and kill yeah. with, along with a couple other guys, yeah. and Charles Bronson's wife and daughter. So I said, I don't think so. No, no. I had some sense, an instinct. I said, no, no, thank you. Uh, anyway, that may be the worst career advice. Yeah, that was awful. Age it will never that was tell terrible. You. So, but you know, people were okay. But I made my way from one lucky thing to another. I mean, really luck, Robert Altman, to have kind of come yeah. across him early on. He saw me in this play by a weird stroke of luck and put me in a couple of importantly, you know, highly esteemed movies that really were inspirational for me and that group of people and his way and all, all of that. And then, you know, Philip Kaufman just worked with good people and you know, kept getting chances and small, smallish chances so that I didn't blow it entirely. I go back yeah. now and look at some things and go, oh boy, I'm lucky I got another chance after that. I could do that better now. And uh, but I guess I did okay enough. And there were there were things about me that were there are things that I have to offer. I guess that were started. I became aware of bit by bit as things went went along. You know, and developed. In some sense, when I look at your career, you don't read as if you struggled. It looks like it was this glorious road for you. And, and you know how so many actors have like fallow periods. You, you don't seem to have had that, have you? No, that's the thing. Not only did I you know, break into it miraculously, but it just kept going from one thing to another. And like I say, there was one week in the mid-70s where I went out to California and thought, oh, I got to pay my rent. I'm not, I don't have a job. I better look for something. And, um, and I, I got a job um, selling pencils and pens and stationary equipment over the phone. While you were already acting? After you'd already started yeah, acting? Yeah, I'd done a couple of things. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. this is like 75, so I'd done Nashville. And I'd, so I moved out to California, had this little apartment. Thought, oh, boy, you know. And, you um, were selling pens. Yeah, I, they said, oh, you know, don't use your own name. It was kind of a scam. They, it was a boiler room operation of sorts, I think. And we called up correctional institutions back east. So early in the morning, we'd get up and say, hi, this is Joe. We're from Washington, D.C. Joe D. Hernandez. C. Joe Hernandez. There I was again. Uh, we're from Washington, D.C. We had a, a, a government program fall through. So we've got a whole surplus of magic markers and pens. And <laughs> uh, and do you use the green or the red? You know, this horrible sales technique. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, we use the red. Well, can I send you a gross of those? You know, et cetera, et cetera. Well, after a week, I'm such a sensitive type. I wound up in the hospital, maybe coincidentally, but maybe not. I was, you know, I couldn't take it. <laughs> That's funny that being a salesman would be more stressful than being an actor for you, right? Well, in a way, they're diametrically opposed, I like to think. Um, as Arthur Miller told us in Death of a Salesman, there's something about the American character that is particularly doomed and dismal when it relies on hype, lies, and nothing of substance. Um, my acting life, even though it's pretend... And made of poetry and invention, according to Sandy Meisner, and my lifelong quest has been to make it truthful, so-called, and to find authenticity in life and not sell anything in the sense that I'm, you know, putting anything over on anybody, you know? I still despise sales, I think, and politics as sales and our country as the, the, the selling as something to sell. I, I see that because you came out, you sort of bridge this two gaps of, of American movie making. You you come out right during the auteur 
you know, uh, independent cinema movement, but you really come of age in the Spielberg era, which is the era of blockbusters. Yeah. And you've been in, you know, some of the most profitable movies of, of all time. But yeah. you always have this, it's almost like you're bridging the gap between those two eras and you're, yeah. and you're always bringing in some of that, that soulful acting style. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, that's, that's the even luckier part of it. That's right. You ever read that book, Easy Riders, yeah. Raging Bulls? Yeah. yeah, me too. It's a fascinating landscape and tapestry how the movie industry has changed over these few de yeah. decades that I've been involved. And somehow you're right. I've gotten a chance to participate in a couple of different uh, uh, variations. Yes, and the... That's right. Not only what I can bring to those some of those bigger movies, but the, the, those particular bigger movies. I mean, Mr. Spielberg is a is kind of like an independent actor, loving, creative, wildly creative, uh, inventive director that makes it a educational and delicious experience, even though it's an entertaining movie. Right. Uh, likewise, Taika Waititi, I'm thinking of, who did yeah, Thor, Thor Ragnarok, is a real, you know. Maverick kind of subversive, improvising, you know, comic force, uh, spectacular guy. So yeah, I but your performance in that is is largely improvisational. Is that it true? It is. Yes, it was a beautifully written script, and those people at Marvel are great, Kevin Feige yeah. and Luis Esposito. But they hire these guys. They hired him, and he said early on at the Chateau Marmont where we met, he said, you know, I think it's this is a comic book, but and we'll put you in a funny costume, but I think it's there's something in your area. Mm -hmm. It's a carry. You'll still be, you know, it's not your straight behavior, but I think I want a lot of you and I want a lot of improvisation. And we, we sure did. We fooled around a lot. And a lot of that's in the movie. Whenever we get to talking, Topaz, about Scrapper 142, what do I always say? She is the, and it starts with a B. Trash. No, not trash. Were you waiting to just call her that? It doesn't start with a B. Booze heck. I, I, I'm so sorry. No, best. I was I was thinking about best because I always say you're the best. When I look at the totality of your career, I see a lot of things in common in the roles you you favor. From the beginning mm. of your career, you tended to be a scene stealer, to be cast sometimes in a second or third tier role, and you just infuse the, fuse that role with like insane personality. And I would argue that there is such a thing as a Jeff Goldblum character. Really? And I think I could describe it, but I wonder yeah. what words you would use for the kinds of roles that you favor. What's a Jeff Goldblum character? Oh, golly. Okay, well, I'll go first, and then I want to hear what you, <laughs> you've got up your sleeve, your tweed and beautiful, beautifully tailored <laughs> sleeve. Let's see. Well, hmm. well, I'm thinking about the, off the top of my head, I'm thinking about these things early on. Uh, let's forget. Well, there was Annie Hall, so I had that one line. Yeah, I for I forgot my mantra. I was a yeah. I was a kind of city. Looked like a city guy. I don't know. Uh -huh. <laughs> I don't know what. Uh, it's a funny line. You know, you can't be good in a movie that's not good. If you know, he made a really good movie, and you have uh, one line in it, right? That's right, one line. And and in a good movie, every, I forgot my mantra. Is that I what forgot it is? my mantra or mantra. I yeah. say you say mantra. <laughs> okay. That's I'll go. That's your uh -huh. I'll go. Um, yeah. I, I, uh, it was a good movie, and everybody who's in that movie is good. That's what happens. But you can try to be good, but if the director, you need a director. Anyway, so there was that. I think Phil Kaufman in Invasion. Well, I did Between the Lines. Oh, oh. Oh, I know. Next stop, Greenwich Village. Paul Mazursky. Yeah. I'm lucky to work with him. Very good director. And I improvised in that, you know? he. I was a huffy, sort of self-inflated uh, uh, actor, 
type in that, Clyde Baxter or Charlie mm-hmm. Blitnikoff. I just had a couple of scenes, but they did work. They'd gain, the, you know, come to a couple of people's attention. And I remember the day we did that. I was not in the same functional shape that I am then. Didn't know myself as well. Didn't know what I had to offer, but was very excited. Had you know, belly full of that, you know, the strains of my, uh, you know, creative ambition uh, uh, burbling inside me and. He did some off-screen. I did my lines, but then he did some off-screen lines and improvised with me. He, he, he Paul Mazursky did, and uh, I remember leaving the set and being just thr- thrilled. I thought, "Geez, I, that was. I think that that was fun. I think I did. I think that was okay, you know." And then it came out okay. And then let me see, Nashville. Well, geez, well he used me. Talk about a director using you inventively. I don't say anything in that movie, but I appear. Uh, and it's in a in a way that's I think interesting because he's it's an interesting movie and it's a good movie. And then between the lines, I got it. That's an ensemble piece that Joan Micklin Silver did. Worked with a lot of good actors, and you know I'm a Lucy Lucy Goosey kind of kind of fast talking, smart kind of guy, aren't I? Colorful. Well, you should know that Harry's not interested in investigations anymore. What do you mean? He won an award. Uh, that, that's a long time ago. You haven't read what he's been writing recently. He's writing about culture in the 70s. Yeah, that's junk, pure junk. Harry's just marking time here till he gets enough courage to leave, and then he'll move to Vermont, and he'll write the mediocre American novel. Why? You want to take his place up here? Lots of fun, big money, no, romance? No, you I deny don't. it, but you do. And then Phil Kaufman in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. We were doing all those lines. It was a lovely uh, movie. But I remember one day on the, on the set... Where I, where I had this line to my wife Veronica Cartwright, she says, "Why why did why have we always thought that they'd come in metal ships? Mm-hmm. Sure, flowers." I said, "Nancy, I, I I've never thought that they were gonna." come in metal ships, uh, right. you know, something like that. And Phil laughed at it. He said, good, that's cut. That's all. That's all we knew. That was very good. Let's, let's move on. And the way he appreciated me m- made me see myself, as I remember it, in a little different way, just a little different, and realized that, gee, something, I don't have to do much. There's something in me that's a little different. You know, my own, mm-hmm. Sandy Meisner said, you know, don't copy anybody, try to find your own voice in some way. But there's something in me, even when playing a character, that maybe is s- special to me, that is right there, that I don't even have to kind of make a big effort for. You taught acting for a long time, and I'm curious if you had a philosophy that you tried to impart on people. Did you have any mantras or pet peeves that you tried to impart on students where you said, God, whatever you do, please don't do X. Oh, that's an interesting question. I loved teaching. I love the classroom course. As I said, I'm a student, so I liked the part of teaching that allowed me to learn more. And I would go home going, hey, I didn't know I knew that. And that was fun to try to articulate. And especially the trying to use what whatever you got to really impact Others is a healthy and very delicious kind of uh, endeavor. Anyway, oh yeah, I came to strong convictions in my teaching. Um, oh, you know, people would say, well, people would do is bring in a scene. We'd do a little scene study. They'd bring in a scene. This always sort of struck me. There's a cliche whereby students in some of the modern across the modern methodologies, will say, yeah, here's the scene, and uh, 
And I said, well, you know, they did a movie of that, you know, and they, they're doing it a play. It's on Broadway. It's on, on right now. Have you seen it? No, no. They'd say, I don't want to see that. I, I don't want anything to undermine my own creative vision of it as it emerges, you know. Okay. I said, well, you're an adult artist, you know, maybe, you know, new as you are. And I, I can't disagree with whatever is going to work now and forever for you because you have to find what that is. But if I may, uh, you, you're not even in the ballpark. What I just saw you do, you, you, you should see what professional actors do. Get, get, get some ideas. And if you're worth your salt, you'll make them your own. If you need to steal, if you feel like, or you can't help but stealing something from them. And if you're also worth your salt, you'll think beyond that too and invent beyond that. I don't think that should hold you up. But you know, there are people who, who go by that. But I found that a kind of lazy cliche that I would always try to go knock yeah. out, knock out of them. What about when you prepare for a role? Um, I, I know that when we did a story on you, a lot of the actors said that you, 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 you're up early, you know, rereading the scripts, memorizing the scripts, getting into character. But I don't see you as a method. Are you, how, do you, how do you prepare for most of the roles? Are you, do, you, do you allow yourself to go deep into that method style? Well, whatever you mean by it, I, th I think I, I do. It's a, it's a large subject. And, you know, because I stayed with Sandy Meisner, he's, that's part of a definition of methody acting, because he was with the group theater, along right. with Lee Strasberg, who's really credited mostly with his method business. And, and so, you know, my, my heritage is that the, is that the, is, has something to do with that. And so, like all, some, this methody stuff has to do with making, as, like I say, as true as possible finding truthfulness in acting and make it make it as you know um, alive uh, present and not as in former cycles representational or mm -hmm. phony you know and of course Brando and Montgomery Clift and James Dean were exemplars in cinema of you know how you you know upend old conventions and cliches and find real human behavior in in acted stories um, so yeah I was trying to do basically that but there are many different variations as they're taught and practiced and attempted to be practiced that I have in my experimentation played with and sometimes jettisoned and now I'm nothing if not conscientious from the time I get a part I do some kind of work on it um, diligently um, that may mean all sorts of different things given the you know there's no formula and given different kinds of problems and different scenes and characters and sometimes research you got to do and and uh, di different things and things you got to find I like to get with the costume people and figure out not only working from the inside out but the outside in if you find the right shoe and the right mm -hmm. hat you know mm -hmm. uh, uh, it may give you something and yeah. all that's possible too but um, more and more, I like to, and this is a little inside baseball, I like to de-emphasize uh, preparation on the day. I prepare days before and do conscientious work, but then on the day, don't do something formulaic and overly exertional for myself, which mm -hmm. I overdid in order to get myself into some state 
that I thought was worthy of this thing. I mean, right. scene by scene, and sometimes that just comes, but it comes now kind of naturally as I'm trying to solve the particulars of a particular scene or moment. I don't generally have to feel like I need to shock myself into working myself up right. into something um, just to be worthy of participation. Hey, I want to take a quick break here to thank Moet et Chandon. As you know, because you've been listening, Mad Influence features personalities and performers who shape our culture, focusing on moments that have mattered most to them. We explore artistic breakthroughs and the hard-won discoveries that have helped forge legacies and define careers. The stuff, in other words, that's worth celebrating. So it's fitting that this season of Mad Influence is presented by Moet et Chandon, who has stood for celebrations for over 275 years. As we examine the ingredients of some pretty unforgettable creative careers, we're grateful for the support of the world's most loved champagne and for their encouragement to celebrate life's memorable moments. The Fly is your first really juicy role. Yeah. And, and um, it has so many elements of sort of classic narratives. There's... Frankenstein, there's yeah. the Hunchback of Notre Dame, there's yeah. the great Hawthorne story, the birthmark. Did you have a sense while you were doing it that this was your big shot? Because when I, when I watch it now, I just see like, I, I mean, I know I can identify you as having this long arc of a career. Um, and man, you just throw yourself into that role. Did you, I, I and Cronenberg at that point is kind of, he's not a big director yet, right? Well, it's very funny. Well, here, the first part of your question is that I was not, you know, I've focused less on career, so it wasn't shot. I didn't think of the the, the idea of shot, this is my career shot, but I did think of this as a, a lovely and important opportunity to dig into something juicy that could yeah. grow me and, uh, you know, with which I could have a real vigorous uh, dance, you know. Um, so I, 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 I just, uh, I threw myself into it and... Uh, uh, loved every second of it. I'm saying I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it. But now the dream is over and the insect is awake. Mr. Cronenberg, oh, he was, a, he's, a, I mean, he'd found his brave, unique voice, uh, certainly early on doing things about the body and, mm -hmm. uh, and from his imagination. Um, uh, uh, but just before he'd done a movie called Dead Zone yeah. that I saw, and Chris Walken and yeah. um, Brooke Adams and Martin Sheen, I loved that movie. I thought that was really good. So I was excited. I thought this could be really, really good. But, yeah, I think we, we crossed paths just at the right time, David Cronenberg and I. I liked that movie, and uh, I liked working with him. He was just great to work with. You've worked with directors who allow a certain looseness of form yeah. and then others who are more locked in. Yes, yes. Um, Woody Allen both. famously gives very little direction. Yeah. Uh, Wes Anderson is tight and precise. Yes, although within it, cosmically enlarged. <laughs> you know, you do <laughs> What do you mean, like just Well, I mean, you know, he improv? says, well, no, no. I did, in, and I'm thinking of a, of a scene in Grand Budapest Hotel where I have a two page kind of speech and I worked on it conscientiously and as I worked on it and learned it um, one sentence felt for some reason in my thoughtful investigation to need a the instead of an and or maybe the other way around and I kind of worked on it that way and when we I presented to him on the day 
because we didn't do much rehearsal. Uh, and his beautiful production design set was all set up. And uh, I did it. And he went, uh-huh. He said, you changed, a, I see, a lead to a... Why, why? I said, yeah, I know, I know. That wasn't just an accident. It's because of this and this and this. and Because I'm thinking this and this. And I think, uh-huh, I understand. He said, please do it the other way. Please go back and do it. I said, okay, you, you, you got it. Absolutely. Because I respect because he's brilliant. He's a genius. And I did that. Now, and then we did like 25 takes of that right. within a kind of a smallish range, really. But within that small range, he loves actors so much. And the, and he's it's full of the creative, you know, um, uh, enzymes. It really is a spacious, you know, uh, delicious kind of creative uh, uh, experience. You don't make him sound very um, cosmically enlarged. <laughs> it sounds very tight and precise. Well, still. he's both. He's both at the same really? time. Yeah, and he loves. He loves. I think Robert Altman, and mm. uh, you know, he 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 wants to make the whole experience of shooting kind of an art piece in itself. Right. right. I feel, and so we go to these locations, and the and the cast and the crews are the, the, the cr- cream of the cream, and uh, you know, you have a great time. And he's a kind of a host, a gracious, elegant, stylish host, uh, uh, and um, is so excited about the thing um, and yeah but but he has a kind of a very particular vision but within that it's this l- very enlarged lovely gracious and creative really you ha- you bring a lot to it believe it or not it's uh, it, there, there's a lot of collaboration and trustfulness some actors never watch their movies again. I just imagine that you do watch your movies because you want to learn from something. Is, is there any? Is that true? And are there any performances of yours that you can't abide? Oh, good question. Yes, I do watch them uh, immediately, as soon as I can. Sometimes on the set, I've you know, if there's if it doesn't hold things up, I like to see a playback or two. Sometimes, sometimes not. But I go, what am I? Ah, yes, yes. I think I can learn from that. I like what I'm doing here. Oh no, 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 no. Let's do it again. I could do that better. I do. I can do that. Um, then after it's done, I want to see it, and go, kind of hold my breath and go. Okay, okay, uh, uh, go nice, 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 mm, 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 mm. Okay, you know, I can do that, because um, I'm interested in seeing that, we have what what worked. I've never regretted, I've never said, oh, they cut out my blah, 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 I've never, I've never done that for one reason or another. Um, and then, and then I don't watch it, and then I don't really want to see it much, uh, except sometimes I just watch the DVD, again, because you do these anniversary mm-hmm. interviews sometimes, like I just did and it was recorded for uh, extra material for uh, Into the Night. And so I saw that and it's not that I couldn't abide it, but I really had a sense as I looked at it and studied it a little bit, having not seen it in a couple of decades, oh, I could do, I could have done this, I could have done that. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's perfect, you know, everything, I wouldn't be here if I didn't do that. So in a way, mm-hmm. I, I, can, I can reassure myself that it was perfect for the schedule that I was on, right. and it's worked out. But I still look at it and go, if I were going to do it now, I'd do this, and I know just how I'd do it and why I'd do it. And in fact, when they interviewed me for that, uh, I don't know if they included it in the whole interview, but I kind of go in detail for anybody who's possibly interested. I say, here's w- what I would have done differently, and here's why I would have done it. Yeah. Well, because you have all these um, incredibly memorable, I-, I will say iconic roles, yeah. fans have this crazy sense that they know you. Yeah. Um, now, now, obviously, a lot of actors face that sort of 
public adoration and sometimes intrusion, but I think you're on another level. How, how do you deal with the fact that people might, might feel like they own a piece of you? Well, I never feel like it's a, you know, difficult arrangement in that way. I never feel owned <laughs> like that. But I do feel uh, allowed in sometimes to their, you know, you know, um, sweet spaces. But uh, it's always been fine and dandy for me. People are very sweet. And, and uh, I like to make contact. Actually, acting has always had a... Well, there's a privacy in public inner exploration that I have came to appreciate and enjoy and needed as part of my life. Uh, kind tell, of tell me what you mean by that. A healthy, you know, um, a healthy um, exploration of who I was through playing these parts and mm -hmm. trying to find the truthfulness and make them out of all parts possibly discarded or unrecognized parts of myself. Mm -hmm. Acting and the creative life is about inclusion and your shadow self, self and all of that. So that's been very good for me. But it's also, I guess I like the fact that you're telling these stories not for nobody, but for people to consume. And there's a connectedness not only to yourself, but to the people with whom you're working and for whom you're telling the to whom you're telling the story. And so, yeah, I I, I like people. <laughs> and I like when we're playing piano and when I'm playing piano yeah. now and I see them, they seem to, you know, appreciate me from one thing or another. I you know, it's a uh, fun to already have a little bit of a how do you do how do you do relationship. I think it would freak me out though that people have made Jeff Goldblum tattoos which yes, is just yes. crazy is that is, yeah. is that a compliment <laughs> sure i choose to take everything as a compliment you know that's just my idiotic way um even if they're and is not a compliment but um yeah it's all it's all cute to me you it's know i mean me. people people are jellying themselves up in all sorts of ways these days <laughs> that's what remember what that movie's that's from a movie dub taylor in a movie oh. says to michael j pollard why'd you have to go and Jelly yourself up like that. Uh, you forget that body and Clyde, body and Clyde. Forget body and Clyde. If you, I'm glad your mama didn't see you. I just jellied yourself up. He got a tattoo, you know. But these days, boy, I like to see everybody's tattoos. I think everybody has nice tattoos. I, I should, I should jelly up. myself up, shouldn't I? <laughs> Tell me about how you ended up making music a part of your life because you always did it, right? I mean, I think yeah. I think the very first scene in The Fly, you're playing the piano when Gina Davis comes over. I right? snuck it in that movie. I yes. said, "Hey, David, what if I? What if this crazy guy had a piano in his in that loft that I'd see? I could, maybe I could play a little bit. I could say, as soon as she comes down, okay, that's not a. I don't think that was in it. So I snuck it in there. I snuck it in. Uh, Earth Girls Are Easy. Yeah. I said, Ju Julian Temple, yeah, let me play piano. This alien plays the piano. And so that's happened a couple of times. Um, but yeah, I, I, I took lessons when I was, you know, 10 and, and started to 
uh, already had this idea of being an actor, but played, and I loved to play, and then kind of got a couple of cocktail lounge jobs when I was 15 uh, in Pittsburgh, just uh, <laughs> who knows how, and, uh, and then kept it around, but 30 years ago, played with Peter Weller at my house, he plays trumpet, and uh, we got the idea to go out and about and start to play, so we got a real guitarist, great guitarist friend of his, and we started to go to these joints and play a little bit, and then he went off uh, and did wonderful things that he's doing, and I kept this core group that's evolved over these last 30 years, and now we have this uh, uh, residency at Rockwell, if you come out there, you know, yeah. and, and we play different places. We've been at the Carlisle Hotel yeah. a couple of years ago, and we may come back around these parts now that this album is out, and about a year ago, I was promoting Thor Ragnarok, mm -hmm. and Gregory Porter, the great singer, was on the Graham Norton show and said, hey, Jeff, you want to play piano with me on this song that I'm going to do is Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa, and I've named you. I said, yeah, and we played that. His record company, Decca, saw it, and uh, uh, Tom Lewis and Rebecca Allen, they're great people over there, and said, yeah, let's do a record with you, Jeff, and that's what happened about a year ago, and, and we did it. Yeah, well, Till Bronner, the great uh, the trumpeter, is on us. Larry Klein produced, uh, uh, produced it, and he kind of cooked up this whole thing out of what we were already doing. But uh, he brought us Haley Reinhardt and yeah. Imelda May and Sarah Silverman and I were all, had already done that song in a different place. I've seen and, you do it on YouTube once. Where, yeah, yeah, that's right, where we're yeah. kind of just practicing for this other thing that she did a yeah. few years ago. You know, I'm just uh, kind of delighted with it. Like the wallpaper sticks to the wall. Like the seashore clings to the sea. Like you'll never get rid of your shadow, Sarah. Jeff, you'll never get rid of me. Good news. Let, Let all the, the others, others fight and fuss. Whatever happens, we've got us. We're closer than pages that stick and in a book. Closer than ripples Shadow. that play in a brook. Perfect. Walking Wherever you find her, you'll find me just um, I want to ask you about style. I think for a lot of guys who don't see a ton of men in their 50s and 60s who take style seriously or just looking good and being in shape, you represent a sort of healthy exception to the rule, even a kind of role model. Do you have a philosophy on that or an are you rigorous and disciplined first in your physical and health routines? I know you are, right? Yes, I try to be. Uh, uh, I try to be. I get up. We have a gym in the house now. And even before that, through the years, I've always been <clears throat> wanted to move move around and uh, played sports all day, all day, every day when I was a kid. And then discovered dance early on as part of my acting studies in life and took that seriously and was really into it and used it in a couple of things. And then started to work out. Didn't want to be just a lanky, skinny, you know, sidekicky kind of castably sidekicky guy. Uh, uh, I thought I wanted to put on a little muscle for one reason or another and started to like the gym and lifting weights. And, and I've always tried to eat in order to medicinally fuel myself. Uh, and so have luckily stayed you know, it's somewhat, you know, presentable, so I don't frighten little children. Um, in the meantime, I like to get a good night's sleep. In the meantime, I've always been interested in clothing. I was looking at old pictures of myself in Pittsburgh, and I was sort of fascinated by, I took my, I made my mom go out and get me this Nehru jacket that I think I saw, you know, Sammy Davis Jr. wearing or something, and a medallion and a turtleneck. 
I wanted to be part of the, you know, this, uh, this Carnaby Street mod. I, you know, that really yeah. interested me. All kind of stuff. I had little fetishes about, you know, clothing then. But then once I started to study acting, like I say, getting together with sometimes the most interesting person on the crew, uh, the costume person, and who knows the script deeply and discovering what the clothes are really interested me. And so... That, that it became interesting for that reason, and all at the same time, I was like, "Oh, I need this! I got to find the right T-shirt." You know, all along that line, made a lot of horrible mistakes. You know, would collect things and pester wives and girlfriends and like that. Uh, and then four years ago, because of uh, you and GQ, found Andrew Vitero yeah. on that shoot, and uh, just with no nothing in mind particular, except I like to yak about clothes. Had needed somebody to not pest, not wear out about with with my yakking about my interest in clothes, and I said. Come over to my closet. You got to tell me which jeans to throw away. You know, because I always like to kind of prune things out. And we not only did that, but I, but he said, hey, you know, if you want to replace these four things with one thing, maybe let me. What are you trying to do? And I said, well, I, you know, I play piano, and I do have to present myself on talk shows sometimes. And and as this musician, you know, myself as playing music, and I went went that to be. I think particularly, he said, well, here are some pictures and he showed me photograph we did kind of a look book and he did it like a design he's a very sophisticated and brilliant guy and we started to shop a little bit and and finally replaced every article in my <laughs> closet with, with, with new new things nothing is there from before and um and it's been a thrilling thing. And he's kind of worked with some costume people on movies in these last four years, uh, as we've been allowed to, uh, if it's contemporary and, uh, and appropriate. Uh, it's, it's kind of uh, very fun. Well, talk about being a late bloomer. That's what's yeah. so cool about it is that you've proven yourself to be open to becoming a style icon in the very... Well, I don't know. I didn't have it. I didn't want to become anything, but I did like clothes and I did like all the other things. want to kind of express myself. I do have a, it thrills me, the colors and shapes and clothes and tactile feelings and textures. And uh, I like to dress up. Well, no, it's and funny because not only do you seem <laughs> curious and unafraid to try new things, you don't seem particularly worried about... Some people get too obsessed about dressing your age, yeah. but you have this confidence or, or ease about you well, uh, that, that, that has the benefit of making you actually look ageless, I think. Thank you. Well, for now, you know, I mean, it's, everything is uh, fluid, as we know, and I'm coming and going at some point. But, um, but I, and I say to, to Andrew, hey, you know, now, you know, is this, uh, this isn't too, and I think he has an eye for it, too. We don't, we're not going to dress like a skateboarder, you yeah, know, yeah. wait a minute, what happened to Jeff? You know, some, we're trying to, we have some things in mind, you know. Our, our taste, my taste and his taste, is keeps we keep collaborating and getting excited and having conversations and looking at stuff and trying stuff on that doesn't that isn't too crazy, yeah. does, but uh, but it makes me satisfies it makes us. me think that I wish um, more more guys past a certain age yeah. took risks. Yeah, um, I don't know. It just seems like guys well, give up, and I, yeah. I I wonder what you would tell. Guys, if you were, if it was Jeff Goldblum looking at them in the mirror, well, every well, everybody's everybody's different. It's a case by Take case some risks. basis. Well, I, to me, that's the creative life, life worth living. Living. I mean, we're talking about a possibly superficial aspect of life, but to me, it really isn't. Uh, to tell you the truth, but um, I think in all ways, I, I can tell them and tell you that I I like my late bloomer kind of skin that I wear and mentality that I seem to have and studentship that I still embrace. And, um, 
And I like to, uh, I'm nothing if not open-minded, and I, I, I try things. As a matter of fact, I kind of can't help it, because sometimes part of me wants to go, Eureka, I found it. I'm going to make a policy. That's me. <laughs> but without even trying, the next day or the next week, I'll go, no, no, I, I'm just a little bored with it. I don't know. I just have to keep keep changing keep trying something different I don't know <laughs> well thanks for being the uh, perennial student and thanks for being uh, our guest on Mad Influence I really enjoyed your time thank you thank enough you. I learned so much it's nice being in your stylish presence you're a wonderful guy this is the most time we've spent together I've, we've, I've been around you but in your, yes. you've been so wonderful to me But and thank you but thank you for this this is delightful thank you Jim thank you Jim Hey, thanks for listening to Mad Influence. I want to tell you about a special offer for listeners who maybe aren't yet GQ readers. You can sign up for a one-year subscription to GQ for only $10 by going to gq.com forward slash madinfluence, one word. Plus, if you subscribe today, you'll get the GQ Weekender duffel bag. It's amazing. No promo code is required. Thanks again for listening, and if you liked what you heard, leave us a review or a comment on iTunes. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.